Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. In the Bible, the book of Genesis talks about the original sin. It is the eating of the fruit that God told them not to eat. That's the sin. In pictures and in kids' books, it's always an apple for some reason. But in truth, it's never described in the Bible as any particular kind of fruit. When when Eve convinces herself, with, of course, a little bit of help, (laughs) to finally eat of it, she immediately turns to her husband, Adam, and offers it to him. And instead of him saying that, hey, this is a bad idea, (laughs) and refusing to, to eat it, he does what she did and takes a bite. I have often had the thought, you know, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> I don't know about you. I, I, I think, boy, if, if I were there, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have committed that sin. There, there was only one thing that they couldn't do in the Garden of Eden, and that was eat from that tree. I mean, they could, they could eat from everything else. They, there wasn't any kind of poisonous mushrooms or anything that in the Garden of Eden. They could eat of anything. They, they could do anything. And there was only one thing they couldn't do, and that was eat from that tree. I definitely would have been better than that in my mind, and I would not have eaten from it. And then I think of all the dumb things that I've decided to do, and I definitely know better. <laughs> So we all sin at some point. Then something happens that is really very familiar to us all, I think. When when God can't find Adam and Eve because they are hiding out of embarrassment, he gets sarcastic. (laughs) Yes, God gets sarcastic here. Stay with me. He sarcastically calls out to them, Adam, Eve, where are you? <laughs> like he doesn't know, right? He doesn't know where Adam and he's God, right? But he, he calls out to them because they're hiding out of embarrassment. And when he finally addresses them, he asks them this. He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? <laughs> now, here in Genesis 3, verses 12 and 13, are both of their answers. Listen to this and see if this isn't familiar to you. Quote, the man said, the woman whom you gave me (laughs) to be with, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. (laughs) Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. (laughs) Did you hear it from both of them? Did you hear that? They both gave an excuse to God. It wasn't their fault that they ate the fruit that did something wrong. It it was someone else's fault. (laughs) That's, That's what they're telling God here. Eve says it was the serpent's fault. He convinced me. He's the one that you need to blame. Adam, on the other hand, he's he's like, he doubles down. Adam actually throws blame twice in one sentence here. He first blames Eve by saying, it was her. 
<laughs> you can you can just see him like pointing his finger at the same time, right? <laughs> then he blames God for giving him this terrible influence of a wife. <laughs> it's it's you that's the one that gave me this wife. <laughs> it's her fault. Well, Democrats are really good at blame and and not taking responsibility for their mistakes. Biden can't admit when he's wrong. It's just not in his DNA. His party leaders blame him and that giant sucking sound of is, is their hopes of any kind of success in the 2022 midterm election. That's that. And, and it, it's going to be bad. So what we are seeing now is President Joe Biden's own party turning on him and blaming him for everything that is going wrong. In an article from Christopher Bedford uh, in, from The Federalist, uh, he, it's entitled, As Democrats and the Press Turn on Biden, Remember, They Are the Regime That Empowered Him. Joseph R. Biden might be in office, but the media and their Democratic allies are really in charge, the regime that created him. He says this, he says, Biden at 79 shows signs of age and AIDS fret about his image, reads a headline on the front page of Sunday's New York Times. It's a goofy article, one that reluctantly tries to tackle the president's publicly deteriorating mental uh, faculties while claiming he's still more fit than either President Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump, of course, both Republicans. At one point, the reporter even cites experts <laughs> who put Mr. Biden in the category of super-agers <laughs> who remain unusually fit as they advance in years. But foolishness aside, there it sits, an article questioning Biden's fitness for office on the front page of the Sunday Times. And they weren't done. Uh, Democrats sour on Biden, citing age and economy. The top headline reads in Monday's New York Times. Polls show most want new uh, 24 candidate as pessimism becomes pervasive. That's another headline. On the headline version of the that piece, even it, it includes a, a box titled The Biden Presidency, which breaks down where President Biden stands with midterm elections looming. The five categories are titled Struggling to in Inspire, Low Approval Ratings, Questions about 2024, as well as Staff Changes about the Increasing Number of West Wing Departures and, uh, and uh, Rallying Allies about the Conflict in, in Ukraine. On Tuesday, the Times threw a third punch with which uh, col columnist M Michelle Goldberg uh, headlined, Joe Biden is too old to be president again. Now, Sunday, Monday, front page punches, followed by an opinion page uppercut sent and a clear signal that the Times regrets putting the president in office as much as many of his voters do. <laughs> More than that, however, they no longer find the president useful to their project. The difference between the Times and the public who voted for Biden is, is press and their allies in, in Democratic leadership are the real people who 
hoisted his presidency on our on our country. Together, they pushed him into a disinterested Democratic base. They papered over his mental decline. They suppressed criticisms of his competence and even actively censored credible uh, accusations of his corruption. Just just look back two years in February 2020. Biden had come in fourth place in Iowa. A week later, he'd come in fifth in New Hampshire. It didn't look good for him. In in public appearances, he he alternated between you know sinister whispers about the future and yelling angrily into the crowd. Still, his campaign was less radical than those of his colleagues who had endorsed open borders and and gun seizures. Of course, he went ahead and, and did that later. But more, he was known to the American people and presented as a more standard American president than Trump did. So powerful figures coalesced behind him. And after South Carolina, uh, Poobah, Republican, I'm sorry, not Republican, he's a Democrat, uh, Representative James Clyburn endorsed his candidacy in, in that state, he began to win, counting in particular on the black vote. With, with his switch, a, a press and party that had openly challenged his past positions and his competency began to steady, had a steady drumbeat touting his morality and the ability to do the job. Questioning his cognitive decline suddenly went from common in both corporate news analysis and political debates to forbidden. Some public figures who questioned his capacity even deleted their tweets. And while the former vice president ran a bunker campaign (laughs) with barely any press access, corporate media breathlessly covered Trump's COVID fight and, and comparing it to the Vietnam War. The District of Columbia even erected crosses for the dead next to a digital counter keeping tabs on deaths attributed to the disease. Of course, the display was removed after Trump lost the election. (laughs) Shocker, right? Biden's South Carolina comeback wasn't just unusual. It was artificial. The only other Democratic president candidate to have achieved this feat before was Bill Clinton, who skipped Iowa altogether ceding it to the hometown candidate. But then so outperformed expectations in New Hampshire that he was nicknamed the Comeback Kid. And while Americans, uh, Americans elite presidential historians rushed to tell the, the public Biden was the second coming of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and will save the soul of a nation, as they put it, the reality is he's not even Bill Clinton. Clinton was the kind of politician who could make a deal with a hostile Congress, survive sexual affair with an intern less than half his age, and still reign as kingmaker for decades after finishing his second term. In contrast, D.C. Democrats quietly worried Biden might not live through a second term. So now they want to banish him and his distinctly unimpressive vice president, (laughs) whom the voters, to their credit, left in last place during the Democratic primaries, their right to want to banish Biden, of course. A New York Times poll released Monday showed his job approval at 32%. 
That's lower than Jimmy Carter when he left office. Lower than Trump just after January 6th riots. And and less than half of Clinton's approval when he left office in 1998. To Biden's near sole credit, he's still eight points above where Richard Nixon was on his final week in office. <laughs> so you can, yeah, give him a little bit of credit, right? The current occupant of the White House, however isn't planning to leave office anytime soon. He's still more than two years out from the next election. And that means his approval matters a great deal. And in in politics, at 33% approval, there's no survivors. So now the corporate media and Democratic establishment that picked the Democratic candidate work to install him as America's president and virtually dedicated his White House policies um, and and are trying to sulk away and avoid blame for their decline. Now they'll point to his age and his cognitive decline on the front page of the Times, and they'll discuss it once again on Twitter. But it's all just a game. Of course, Biden is is old and uh, experiencing cognitive decay Uh, It was two years ago when he was picked and everyone watching knew it. He's he's been in the limelight for literally like 50 years. So we could all see the difference. The fact is that the American regime ignored and hid this because they hated Trump enough. They were willing to do anything, anything to defeat him. They did this. And the hard reality is this isn't a Biden problem. It's a regime problem. So when his old friends in the party and the media try to eject his presidency, remember that they created it. They empowered it. Someday soon, the president will leave the world stage, but they'll remain still willing to do anything they need to to get their way. Joseph R. Biden might be in office, but they're in charge and the regime that did this. Quote, I can't help feeling very sorry for Joe Biden, unquote. This is what Goldberg wrote in her Wednesday opinion column. It was her opening line, but could have been the end of of Mice and Men when George comforts his friend doomed, Lenny, before shooting him in the head. George and Lenny had been a team best friends even. But in the end, well, we all knew who was in charge. Remember that. It will be important again. (laughs) But the blame game is ramping up into high gear, and the the Democrats don't seem to be using any break. In an article from the National Review entitled, Why Democrats Won't Wake Up, it says, wake up, Democrats! cries cries the the, the cover-up of the most recent issue of The Economist. Democrats lack a sense of urgency, and they they, they won't wake up, at least not before the midterm elections. The the editors of The Economist, sensing an impending midterm blowout and the ensuing empowerment uh, of of Trump-friendly GOP, beg the Democratic Party's leaders, leaders to distance themselves from their fringe elements. Fringe and sometimes 
uh, dotty ideas have crept into democratic rhetoric, uh, peaking in the feverish summer of 2020 with the with a movement to defund police, right? Abolish immigration uh, enforcement, uh, shun capitalism, uh, relabel women as birthing people, and inject anti-racism into the classroom. If the Democrats are defined by their most extreme and least popular ideas, they'll be handing a winning agenda to culture war grievance to the to the opposition party. The Democrats have begun to put this right, um, but they lack urgency. They may be because some of them blame their their problems on others, like we were talking about earlier, as as when the White House points to Putin's price hike, or or the negative negativity of Republican politicians and the conservative media. Although there is something to this, the, the party also needs to ditch cherished myths that that empower their idealists. Hey, I I'd love to see an American political culture characterized by sane centralist Demo- Democrats arguing with the sane conservative Republican Party, moving the country in a you know gradual, steady center right direction. But that's not going to happen anytime soon. First, out of all the possible times for the the leaders of the party and its centralist members to embrace a fight with their you know, hard left grassroots four months before an election day is perhaps the worst time. Right now, Democrats desperately need progressives, you know, the Bernie bros and the squad fans and your crazy Aunt Edna with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg prayer candles to, to turn out in November. They're disappointed even with Joe Biden already. The future of the senators, you know, so there's Raphael Warnock of Georgia and Catherine uh, Cortez um, Masto of, of Nevada and Maggie Hassan of, of New Hampshire and Mark Kelly of Arizona uh, depends upon frustrated and, and really impatient progressives in those states. Second, rebuking the fringe left is going to be difficult and few people embrace difficult change until they hit bottom. Nobody likes admitting that they got something wrong, and nobody in politics wants to admit that their approach didn't work until after they've paid a high price at the ballot box, usually. The disappointing results of 2020 were clearly not enough for them. Shortly after the election, Representative Abigail Spanberger, a a, uh, Virginia seethed about the party's left wing, she said this, she said, Tuesday was a failure. It was not a success. If we don't mean defund the police, we shouldn't say that. And we need to not even use the word socialist or socialism ever again. Because while people think it doesn't matter, it does matter. And we lost good members because of that. If we are classifying Tuesday as a success from a congressional standpoint, we will get effing torn apart in 2022. And I think she's right, actually. Do do the Democrats seem more centralist and and results-focused now than they did in 2020? Well, we can debate whether, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders actually have a lot of influence over 
what passes in Congress, but they still get covered as if they do. And there are still members of the Congress who are who embrace defund the police unsurprisingly. They spend a lot of, of personal private security on, on themselves. The, the Biden White House keeps using the term Latinx. The, the, the assistant secretary of HHS just went on MSNBC to argue that there should be no limits on teenagers' ability to obtain gender affirmation treatment. The, the Democrats and their allies continue to attack minority Republican candidates in, in uh, you know, hateful ways and a- alienating ways. And the M- N- NBC News reports that a Texas blogger paid a Democratic representative, Vincent Gonzalez campaign, is attacking Republican opponent, Republican uh, May- Myra Flores as Miss Frijoles. After that, seems like a more moderate and sensible centrist path, do you think? After a midterm election blowout in November, maybe Democratic Party leaders and their centralists will have the stomach to confront their left wing. But the old saying, victory has a hundred fathers and defeat is an orphan, is about people's willingness to take credit or avoid blame, not about who actually is responsible for victory or defeat. Defeat usually has about a hundred fathers too. <laughs> Progressives will point the finger at other factions of their party. And and just as a broken clock can be right twice a day, they'll have to they they have a valid point or two every once in a while. Progressives will try to blame Joe Biden, and he'll deserve some of the blame. Biden is old, he's tired, and, and likely not up for the job. He tends to wildly overpromise. Remember, remember his promise that if he was elected, his administration would cure cancer <laughs> and dramatically under deliver on these promises. Uh, on issue after issue, he denies problems until they're, they're too glaring to ignore, then offers excuses and whines that everybody is so unfair to him. He's an absolute dead weight for his party heading into the midterms and the surviving democratic office holders will eagerly blame him after the fact if the you know expected red tsunami materializes progressives are are fooling themselves if they think their real problem is biden not the agenda but they're talking about people who always find new ways to believe that True socialism has never been tried, if you heard that one. Beyond Biden, there's there's no denying that today's Democratic Party is is doddering, uninspiring, and generic leadership. I mean, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is 82. Majority Leader uh, Steny Hoyer is 83. The Majority Whip James Clyburn is 81. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is a baby, actually. He, he's the baby of the group at 71. Senator Majority Whip Dick Durbin, 81. If they were air, airline pilots, Pelosi, Hoyer, Clyburn, Durbin, they'd all been forced to retire around the, the start of, of George W. Bush's second term. <laughs> Democrats have, have every reason to clean house and start afresh with a new slate of congressional leaders. But I suspect that if the 2022 midterms are an epic wipeout, Many Democrats will choose the most self-serving explanation. Well, they lost 
because they were too nice or because the uh, electorate couldn't grasp the nuances of their message. There's always an audience eager for the message that the reason you haven't achieved what you want in life is because you're so virtuous and noble. And the reason other people succeed is because they're unethical. People and, and parties don't always learn the, the right lessons from defeats. Heck, sometimes even after defeat, a, a party clings bitterly, uh, Barack Obama might say, to, to its old bad habits. In, in 2016, Politico laid out how Hillary Clinton campaign always wanted Trump as its general election opponent. Clinton's team in Brooklyn was delightedly puzzled by by uh, Trump's shift into the poll position that July. Campaign manager Robbie Mook told him uh, so seriously, uh, took him so seriously that his his team's internal and, and of course uh, informal guidance was uh, to to hold fire on on Trump during the the primary and resist the urge to, um, you know, distribute any of the opposition research the Democrats were scrambling to amass against him. That that hoarding plan remained in place deep into 2016 as some senior aides stayed convinced that the race against Trump would be a dream for Clinton. Then Trump was nominated. The Democratic Party uh, Party's top operatives, strategists, and, and activists boasted. Quote, in the swing states that matter most of the presidential race, Trump, Donald Trump doesn't have a prayer against Hillary Clinton in the general election, unquote, is what they said. The 2016 um, election was about a, as shocking and painful uh, a defeat for Democrats as any U.S. political party has suffered in the past generation. And you would think that Democrats would have learned from the 2016 results to never assume that someone is unelectable. But that idea assumes that Democrats are capable of learning from their mistakes. Last, uh, fast forward to this year, when Pennsylvania Democrats spent time, energy, and resources making sure that Doug Mastriano uh, won the uh, Republican gubernatorial primary. Um, our uh, Charlie Cook pointed out uh, that that this completely undermined Democratic uh, argument that Mastriano is a dangerous extremist who will... Um, destabilize America's democracy. Uh, this being so, you know, I would not want to hear a single thing from the Democratic Party about him being a threat now that, you know, now that he's the candidate, right? They're the ones that spent uh, $840,000 trying to get him to be their, their um, person they're running against. And now just a few days later, surprise, He's actually, he's not unelectable. In fact, it's a dead heat. Political, uh, Politico, uh, a few days ago, said as the political uh, environment has worsened for Democrats across the country, the gubernatorial race in Pennsylvania has begun to look more competitive than either party expected. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, polls show Massiano behind Shapiro by only three to four percentage points, which is within the margin of error. Though many still have doubts about Massiano's ability to run a successful campaign, that has made Pennsylvania's Republicans more optimistic and served as a wake-up call for Democrats, particularly in the wake 
of the Roe v. Wade being overturned. Democrats are attempting the, the same maneuver in, in Arizona and Maryland because there's no way Republicans could ever win a, a gubernatorial election in Arizona or Maryland, right? In, in a political environment like this, Biden's job approval in Arizona is at, get this, 26%. Yes, Biden's job approval in Arizona is at 26%. And in Maryland, it's only 38%. I mean, we're talking about New England here, right? To sum up, some Democrats are really, really stupid. <laughs> I, just, I just have to put it that. I mean, their, their strategists are some of the worst. And, and they don't learn from their mistakes. They don't understand that... That, they're, that, 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 that we're talking about voters that are real people and, the, and these policies are, are affecting them. They, they, they are elitists and they can't get outside of their own bubble. And so they're, they're not going to, they're not going to learn these mistakes. What they're doing is they're turning on Joe Biden. He's going to be the scapegoat and he's going to be the one that they try to make uh, fall and, and, and take all of the blame. And it'll be interesting come this November to see what happens because of all of this. It'll be interesting to see, do they really learn from their mistakes? It, what, is this going to be a hard enough hit with this red tsunami? Or are they just going to continue on the way they've always done? And uh, You may have thoughts on this. I would love for you to jump onto our page on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, or you can, of course, always go to UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.